you got to know and do planning for people to really see something like this to really make some sense to go through it. And that's not the only way to do some of these things either, right? Because we can set up trust planning or gifting strategies. So the, it's just one tool to consider versus many others. Welcome to the All Things Retirement Podcast with certified financial planner, Anthony Alpha. Here's your host, Ben George. Welcome into All Things Retirement. Today, we are focused on life insurance. Do retirees really need life insurance? Over the course of this episode, we hope to maybe answer that question a little bit clear. Obviously, the answer is not going to be the same for everyone that listens to this podcast, but hopefully kind of gives you some guidance on where Anthony's mindset is, how this could actually help you out, uh, how this fits into your overall plan, some different strategies for life insurance that you might not be aware of. So, it's a, it's a very good topic, and I think one that a lot of people are curious about. If they don't ask you directly, I'm sure they've thought about it a time or two. So it's our goal today to answer as many questions as we can about life insurance. Anthony, welcome in. Good to talk to you again. Are you uh, Is life insurance something you, you work with quite a bit? or I just heard it get quiet it? in here. Ooh, life insurance, <laughs> insurance. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's you can uh, really shut a room down then once oh, you start right? talking insurance for sure. <laughs> um, so we do help uh, people with insurance, um, doing some analysis and helping in certain circumstances, helping people acquire it. Um, and in, in other cases, we, we don't. Uh, so it really just depends. It's happening more towards on the long-term care planning, um, where we're getting a little bit more involved because it's kind of right in there with, with retirement or like legacy planning. Those, I would say, are the more common times when we're we're getting more involved, but I mean, we still do get involved just because we have a pretty good process that an understanding and, and background of it, 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 it's hard to give it to somebody else knowing that there's a lot of, I don't know, we'll call it salesmen in that space. Yeah. Well, if you visit the website, cardinalwg.com, it's where you'll find Anthony uh, and his, his team at Cardinal Wealth Group. But also you'll see if you click on the, how we serve you, tab at the top, you'll see kind of the three pillars, wealth management, financial planning, insurance planning. So you can get a little bit more information about this topic beyond what we talk about today. But if you want to discuss it further, obviously, you know, it's always best to reach out to a professional and, and Anthony can be, Anthony can be found online at cardinalwg.com or you can call him directly at 609-362-5512. Um, so life insurance, you know, look, it's kind of interesting because it's, it's a bit of a young man's game, right? The perception for a lot of people is that as you get older, your need for life insurance is going to decrease and maybe even just become unnecessary altogether uh, once you're in retirement. And, and we want to kind of figure out whether or not that is true. Is that the case for a lot of people? So let's get through, let's go through some in and outs of life insurance and try to better understand this product and how it's used. And I think starting with the simple question of, and you kind of touched on this when you first answered, uh, but why is, is insurance, life insurance specifically, why is this a dirty word to a lot of people? I think it just has to do with the industry. I think people have gone through it in the past or family members or other friends and, and somebody that they know has told them, stay away from insurance. It, it's no good. Even though we have insurance in so many things like auto, homeowners, umbrella insurance, health insurance, um, I think the life insurance side has a little bit of some bad rap there because there's just a lot of 
you know, enough bad actors in the past that rubbed it the wrong way and have created a, a cloud over it. Um, similar thing with uh, car car salespeople or, yeah, the, the recent person who came out to check our AC unit uh, last summer comes to mind where I just wanted it to kind of get a, a service and, a, you know, the filter change. The next thing you know, they, <laughs> I got calls for uh, people who want to come out and sell me a, a new AC unit, right? Yeah. And I'm like, well, it works. So why, why do I want to replace it? So I think it's kind of a similar vibe. And, and there's some fairness there where I think people were almost selling these things in a predatory way at some point, whether you go back in the 70s and 80s and even to today. And so I, I think that's how we got to that dirty world. Yeah, I understand you got to sell and just, uh, and this is maybe getting off topic a little bit, but I also like, I, I'm all, I'm more inclined to do business with someone that's not always trying to push me a product, you know, like just shoot me straight, be honest with me. And, and eventually you're going to earn more of my business over time. Just getting that AC thing. I have the same thing. Like I, I don't want to ever call anybody out because I'm like, well, what else are they going to try to pitch me on today? But that is a completely different tangent, <laughs> but kind of ties into the life insurance product itself. So it's, I guess, worth being said, but Let's talk about determining whether or not you need life insurance, right? So if I come into your office and I'm meeting with you, first meeting, what second meeting, whatever meeting it is, but the, the topic of life insurance comes up, how do we get to that point to determine whether or not I actually need it? So we're not somebody where it's like somebody's just coming in and say, I need some life insurance, or we're not just reaching out with like a great sales idea. So everything for us really starts off from a planning standpoint. So with that said, like if we're talking about doing some planning for people, and we're doing the long-term projections. Once we're kind of done that process, that's usually meeting two, if, if we're talking from a, a new a new client in this example. So the second or third meeting. By like the third meeting, we probably want to do some stress testing to the plan. And when I say stress test, it's just kind of killing off each spouse today and maybe at different points in the future to really see if there's any actual insurance need. And there's many times where people have more insurance and what's needed from a math standpoint. And then there's other times where they have you know, the right amount. And in other cases, uh, they, might, they might be a little underfunded. And so what we're doing is basically saying if Mr. Smith passed today, you know, in terms of what we have left that we're trying to accomplish, like you're planning to save for the next 10 years. Um, you're, so we're not going to be able to do that, pay off those debts. And um, you have, you're going to be in a different tax rate, uh, tax bracket and maybe other goals like college education, you know, it, there could be a need there. And that's not to say that you have to go out and do it. It's just to say that there's a need there. And then basically we can back into, you know, what that number is and then also, you know, have an idea of what it would cost to fix it. And it's really up to them if there's enough pain there or, or concern about something like that happening. I think that you know, if you look at this retirement planning or financial planning, there, there's going to be all different types of risks that could derail you. And that's just one of them. And it's figuring out whether or not that's one that you want to put some money towards to transfer that risk and, and reduce it. I mean, that's what insurance is doing at the end of the day, right? It's, it's reducing the risk of some, you know, it's transferring some type of risk to the insurance company. Yeah. Well, if you, if you do figure out that you do need coverage of some sort, right? If you kind of go through that process a little bit, how, how do you figure out what that right amount is? I mean, you, you mentioned having a uh, specific amounts to make sure coverage, but what, what factors go into determining that? Yeah. So when we're running the uh, analysis and in this example, you know, having somebody pass away today, there was probably certain things like saving a certain amount, 
and you're paying down a certain amount of debt that was expected to happen due to their human value of working, right? And bringing in that salary. And so if that doesn't happen, we would ask, you know, what are some of the things that might change? Well, we, we probably wouldn't spend as much. So we might reduce that spend. We might not try to, you know, we'd sell the second house. So, we, you know, get rid of that. And then basically, eventually back into a number that says, okay, well, based off of that, you need about, you know, $500,000 of insurance today. And if they have it, then great. You're it sounds like you, you got the right amount. And if they're over or under, then then it's a, you know the conversation goes a little bit differently. So if they have more than enough, then it's really more of a preference. And look, these are variables. We could be wrong, right? If, if tax rates are higher in the future, if uh, rate of returns are not as good, if they don't actually drop their spending. So there could be cases where they say, even though your need's 500, maybe it makes sense to keep the million dollar policy at this point. And for other people, um, who don't have any, it's it's just kind of something that just says, you know, is this something that we should maybe address? And because it's going to add to your budget in some ways, right, that you weren't, you didn't have this bill before, and now you might have it, if you think it's a big enough concern, right? And so if retirement's a, uh, an important concern to you, you have 10 years, and this person is saving $20,000 a year over the next 10 years, that's 200 grand plus paying off the debt, you know, that it might be worth to ensure that for some people. So that's kind of the process that we would take them through the math and, and go through the variables and, and see how we should adjust it to back into the right number. Okay. So that's, that's how you kind of get the, to that point. And I think this is kind of like the, the straightforward conversation, but I think a lot of people just get hung up on the fact that, you know, I don't need the coverage for that, or I'm, I think I'm covered enough here and there. So they don't, they don't really dive into life insurance maybe as much as they could, because there's some other uses for it beyond just the obvious that people aren't even aware of, right? Yeah, that, that's a good point too. So it's not just about killing people off and <laughs> determining <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> their, uh, their human value to see if you want to ensure that, right? So that, that's a fair question. I would tell you that some of the other examples where it could be worth a consideration would be if somebody has, you know, is in retirement or nearing retirement, but they also have a legacy goal where they want to leave behind a certain amount of money. So, you know, recently we had somebody about two years ago, uh, was a newer client that wanted to make sure that each child was going to get $500,000. And their nest egg was about a million dollars and they owned their house outright. So it was something that was possible because they also had social security and a pension. And basically what worked out and for them was saying, why don't I buy a million dollar policy um, I know that they'll definitely get it, and it gives me permission to spend the rest of my nest egg. So it wasn't a question of if this person passed, whether or not their retirement was going to work out for the the other spouse. It was really more I want to make sure that a certain amount gets left behind to the next generation, and I want to feel like I can spend my nest egg without worrying about that. So that was that's one way. Another uh, couple that come to mind would be that if you're someone with a you know, majority of your liquid net worth in, in an IRA and 401k and maybe in a higher tax bracket. And you don't really want to take the risk of doing Roth conversions at this time because you'd be, you know, paying taxes at a, at a high rate. Well, one thing that you could do is have a life insurance policy that basically would be there so that if something were to happen to you, your spouse would have that money to be able to utilize to, to pay the required minimum distribution taxes that you're going to have to 
pay on the IRA and a 401k. Um, and that spouse might be in a higher tax bracket because you're going to go from uh, married filing jointly to a single taxpayer with maybe a similar RMD. That might be a good reason to have the insurance to help pay for the taxes. And I would also say that uh, for somebody that wants to pass money on to a, another generation, again, might have the majority of their liquid net worth in an IRA or 401k, but they don't like, so I have a client that, that have two good pensions, two strong social securities. They don't need any of their nest egg and it's all basically in their IRA and 401k. So they're going to have to start, start taking pretty significant required minimum distributions. And so one option for, for them would be to take those RMDs instead of reinvesting them invest it into a life policy that builds up a big benefit, a leverage benefit, right? You're taking small RMD payments and you're buying this leverage benefit that would go on to the next generation and pass it off as a tax-free benefit. And, and they would have less RMDs that they're going to have to deal with as well from being passed down an IRA and a 401k. Um, and the last one that really comes to mind, sorry, I know there's a bunch, but uh, is um, That's all right. hybrid long-term care. So a lot of our clients, when we look at long-term care protection, um, there's a traditional long-term care policy that works just like a um, health insurance, where basically if, if you don't use it, you lose it. And a lot of people don't like that. And so the life insurance industry has come out with um, other options where basically you can have a long-term care benefit and a life insurance benefit. So basically if, if you use it towards long-term care, great. Great, uh, but also if the person uh, doesn't use it, at least the the life insurance benefit's going to go to someone, so the the premiums don't go to waste. So those are just a, a few of them. I know it's a lot and a lot of maybe jargon I used, but those are could be some uses of it when it comes to tax planning, legacy planning, and and long term care planning. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. I think that's that's why it's so important. I know it's, it seems like a long list, but it gives people some idea of of the different factors and, and different uses and and you know, maybe one of those you weren't even aware of, you think, okay, maybe this would make sense. It's worth having a, a another conversation, exploring a little bit deeper. What I would also say too, uh, Ben, is that these are not things that you would know about somebody unless you went through a planning process. You're not going to just walk up to somebody and said, hey, I got a great idea for, you know, life insurance for you, you know, because of your RMD situation, knowing that you want to pass money on to the next generation, how we can help you. These are, th you just don't walk up and assume you, you, you got to know and do planning for people to really see something like this to really make some sense to go through it. And that's not the only way to do some of these things either, right? Because we can set up trust planning or gifting strategies. So the, it's just one tool to consider versus many others. And, and there's many times where people say they should get something and they'll be fine. And if they don't, then they don't. I didn't get anything. Uh, I just don't feel like, you know, paying for that. It's not that I don't care that much, you know, right. but I, so it, it really just depends on how big of a concern it is. Um, the client that wanted to make sure their kids got $500,000 each, she was somebody that basically would almost sacrifice her own retirement spending to make sure that they got something. And that's, you know, for, for her, that's why that made a lot more sense. Uh, let's close out this life insurance conversation. Just kind of quickly take me through 
that discussion with your clients in terms of what kind of insurance we want, term, whole, universal life. How does that play into it? Yeah, you know, so again, not to overwhelm people is, is one of the goals here. I mean, there's always the, I want to learn more about it and I want to know them all. And we, we would maybe point them to a couple different educational pieces that we might have or websites. But the other way is is really let the purpose bring you there. So if, if your goal is, is really talking about protecting long-term care planning, you know, we're, we're going to look at the traditional long-term care options with you. And then we'll also say, well, here's a couple other, you know, hybrid as they're called because they have a, other features and benefits and, and they're, they're through like a, a life insurance chassis. And there's no point in talking about term insurance there because you can't do it with term insurance. And there's no point in doing it with, you know, say a variable policy because that doesn't really apply. So it's really being narrowed down to two, right? A, a universal life or an, and a whole life policy. And we would just walk them through how it works and how it differs from the traditional. So I think it's really just a process of elimination due to the purpose. And, you know, everybody's understandings are a little bit different in terms of whether they ever bought insurance. So we'll, we'll kind of try to get an understanding of their point of view, whether they have a negative sentiment towards it, which is, which is perfectly fine. We'll trash insurance companies with you, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, and also just understanding what level that they understand it. Some people totally understand term insurance or whole life because they already have it. And other people you know, don't, and we have to maybe break it down a little bit more or use some type of analogy um, so that they kind of understand it a little bit easier to bring them up to a level so that they can actually make a uh, a good decision for themselves. I got gotcha. you. Well, look, it's a, it's a very, it can be a very complicated process, a little bit deeper than maybe you thought about, but there's a lot of things that go into it. So hopefully this answers the question, do retirees really need life insurance? Well, they could. It's very possible. They may or may not, but there are options for it and reasons why you would have it as a retiree. And hopefully we took you through some of those today. But if you want to learn more about that, always uh, reach out to a professional like Anthony to kind of go into your detail and your specific situation and try to help you meet your goals with life insurance and depending on what role that plays in the overall plan. A couple of mailbag questions came in. I want to throw your way, Anthony, before we get out of here on this episode. First one came in, came in from Hank, and these are both kind of in the mindset of saving. But his question is, I've heard that you need to have between 15 and 20 times your annual salary and savings to be able to retire comfortably. Do you think that's accurate? I would say that it's hard to use some of these rules that you might get from online or reading somewhere. I, I think it's it, it's a guided number that people can use, especially if you're like in your, in your 30s or something like that, or 40s. But I, I, at the end of the day, you really want to look at, see what tools you have. And so if you have, you know, Social Security and you have pension, um, how much of that does those guaranteed sources cover that budget that you're trying to that you're trying to cover? And so looking at your salary only, you know, doesn't really incorporate taxes. It doesn't incorporate how much is of that is being saved towards retirement vehicles or uh, health insurance and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, you might not have a uh, mortgage payment in, in retirement, which, you know, having a, you know, no mortgage and having Social Security and pension, that, that could really reduce how much you actually need down to maybe five or 10 times that, that salary. So there, it's too many variables to just say yes to something like that. Um, not a terrible rule of thumb to say to somebody who's 
25 years old to give them an idea that you probably need, you should be thinking somewhere around 25 to 30 times your, you know, your salary. But I, I again, I would never really say it like that just because it's too risky just to make a blanket statement like that. You really want to get an idea what that income gap is from what's not being covered from your guaranteed income sources and seeing what's left over and what nest egg uh, you need to fill that gap with. Yeah, maybe a good starting point, but definitely not uh, something to build your entire plan around, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for that question, Hank. Uh, next one comes in from Jimmy. Says, I've heard you talk about it having an emergency fund, but I'm having trouble determining how much I should have in mine and where I should invest it. I'm also not exactly sure how to define an emergency that I know when I can dip into it. What's your advice? So I, I think some of it's a, a preference at the end of the day. A lot of people like to say, and other professionals such as myself would say, somewhere between six months to two years is a good number, uh, rule of thumb, so to speak. Um, depending on your preference for having cash build up. But we have plenty of people that we work with that have seven, eight, nine years of cash sitting on the sidelines because they feel more safe with that. And that, that kind of fits their risk profile. Um, it's not ideal from a mathematical standpoint for retirement planning because it becomes a drag on investment, especially today where you don't get anything in money markets or savings accounts. Uh, so there's really you know, very little interest to, to make in those accounts. But for some people, it makes them sleep better at night. And if, you're, if your financial plan works, then it's you know, really just a preference at that point. And I'm okay with it. But not everybody can afford to have seven years worth of money sitting in their savings account. And they need to put more of that money to work because maybe they're a little bit behind or, or their budget's a little bit higher versus their nest egg and, and things like that. So if we're talking emergency fund, I'd probably, you know, where to put it, we're, we're talking money market savings checking, uh, maybe CDs. So you could do, you know, uh, three, six, nine, 12 month CDs that are kind of like a ladder and rotating to maybe try to get a little bit of interest on there. So those would be kind of where I would think about putting it. And, you know, in terms of whether it should be six months, 12 months, two years, uh, I think that that's more of a preference and looking at your financial plan and, and having a conversation with the advisor and seeing what makes the most sense for you. And then emergency, you know, what defines emergency is, is really just something that's kind of out of the blue and unexpected. So you know, that's why a lot of people just, just say, well, just cover, you know, six months or 12 months or two years worth of what you need. So if you need $50,000 coming in, 25 would be maybe a little bit on the light side. And, you know, 50,000 would maybe be a good number to have set aside in a savings type of account for unexpected emergencies. Well, there you go. Hopefully that helps you out there, Jimmy. We do appreciate the question and Hank as well. If you ever have a question for Anthony, you can send it into the show via the website cardinalwg.com. You'll also find all of our podcasts archived there so you can go back through some of our past conversations uh, beyond life insurance. We covered a lot more throughout the course of the show. So there's a lot of great information you can find online, plus the other resources that Anthony offers you over at Cardinal Wealth Group. Anthony, thanks for the time. Once again, I encourage everyone to subscribe to the show. You don't want to miss out on a single episode and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much, Ben. Have a great day.
Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.